This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are two Chicago-based designers, Emily Wacker, uh, who's a costume designer, and Angie Weber-Miller, who is a scenic designer. And both of them uh, recently were nominated for and won Jefferson Awards, Emily for her costumes for Remy Bumpo's production of You Never Can Tell, and Angie for her scenic design for Remy Bumpo's Seascape. So I'm interested first to talk about just the life of a designer, how you become a theatrical designer, and how you make a career, um, specifically in Chicago. So Emily, why don't you just start, uh, tell me about your training and, you know, when you realize this is what you wanted to do. Sure. I actually came to it um, later than I think many other people did. Uh, I had a work-study job in college as a stitcher in the costume shop. Um, in high school, when most people start theater, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that that was a career option, uh-huh. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, career maybe is a yes. <laughs> stretching a point, but <laughs> I don't know, though. We're both doing it. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, so I had this work study job in college and I just became more and more involved in it. Um, and I'll give a little shout out to my teachers, Marsha and Jeannie, who sort of reeled me in purposefully, mm. <laughs> um, as a recruiting technique. Um, and by the time I graduated, I knew that I wanted to give it a shot as a designer and a costume technician. Uh, and so I started applying to grad schools because I, uh, didn't actually have a degree in theater. What, what had you gone into college thinking you wanted to do and had you done artistic stuff? Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, really, really, to be perfectly honest, I had no idea mm-hmm, <laughs> what right. I wanted to do. Right. Um, so I went in as a liberal arts major, and I graduated with a math major and an oh. art minor. Um, don't know what I thought I was going to do with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so so that's that's where I ended up. Um, and, and where did you go to graduate school? Purdue University. And that was in a program specifically in costume design? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was. It was. Yeah, I took a couple years off, and I worked as a stitcher in professional theaters um, in the Chicago and Milwaukee area. And then I went to grad school to actually learn how to do it. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And then I've been working in Chicago ever since. And how long is a, does a master's in costume design take? Three years, Three typically. Years. Yeah. yeah. So, Angie, how about you? Same question. Um, like Emily, I didn't do theater in high school, and it, I did get a design degree from Illinois State University, but it was my third major. Uh-huh. Um, and then I went to Northwestern for grad school. Um, and right out of grad school, I didn't do a lot of theater. I went into, I, I took a job in the design department at Chicago Scenic Studios doing um Corporate events, special mm-hmm. events, uh, exhibit design, doing a few shows here and there. So, and then when I decided to become a mother, <laughs> I um, had to leave that job and then started doing more theater at that point. And and had you been an artsy type from way back, or did uh, just more of an interest in literature than huh. the visual part of it? It just it like Emily said, it sort of became apparent that oh, this is an option, uh-huh. uh, and that was really cool. And so, how did that become apparent? When when was a moment when you thought, oh, I, I actually can. picked my major out of the catalog. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when I got into the program, it was just so vibrant and so much fun. And that was a broad design degree. It wasn't. No, it was uh, it was a design and production degree. So it was theatrically focused. Yes. I yes. see. I see. So something in you must have known you were attracted to theater, but you just hadn't. I had a 
bit of a jerk of a a teacher in high school. Mm -hmm. He made everybody jump through a lot of hoops to be involved in theater in high school. I was interested as a freshman, and it was so Mm off-putting that I just sort of pulled back from it in high school and didn't get involved. It seems like high school for many people is the place where you either discover theater or not, and it's good that you managed to get past that. So you both have degrees, and you've done some theater as part of your training. Presumably you've done college shows or uh, university shows, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how does one start to be known as a uh, designer who's available for Chicago theater companies? I think you make those connections in graduate school, and you mm-hmm. start meeting those people who are already working out there, and they say, I know somebody who can do this, and I know somebody who can do that, and you send out interview- resumes and do interviews and hope somebody hires you. From It, it seems like that's how I started. Um, but you had been at Northwestern, so that's easier because you were here. A little bit easier. I was in town, yeah, uh-huh. but it's it's still it's still interesting. It's a little, you know... It's difficult to get your foot in the door, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Emily, what was your experience of that? Uh, it's it's similar. Um, I don't know if grad school was the key for me, but it's always, uh, for me, I mean, it's it's a question still. It's mm-hmm. something that's constantly in progress, I'll mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, getting a job is always related to someone I knew before. So one thing builds on the next thing, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So so when you arrived in Chicago from Indiana, mm-hmm. what did you do? I mean, how did you start to – did you send postcards? Do you go knock on doors of <laughs> artistic directors? What, um, what does one do? I did it. I did uh, certainly the first thing, not so much the second thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it did any good. I did my first design in Chicago um, because I was recommended by my professor to mm-hmm. the, a theater company he had worked with. Um, and then based on that job and based on other connections that I had from <clears throat> design assisting work in the summertime, um, I was recommended to my first show at Rami Bumpo. Uh-huh. Um, what show was, was that? Uh, Les Liaisons Dangereuses. Oh, yeah. Which was the first big show I did So in also Chicago. very historical, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cool costuming mm-hmm. job. And then, so now you have a relationship with the company, and that right. continues. And right. so, do, is there any process that's at all like auditioning for actors? Is there any way where you do you submit portfolios? Mm-hmm. Do you have an agent? Do you? I mean, ha- I don't have an agent, but I have <laughs> sent out resumes. I have done. I have. I don't know if Emily has put together a little cheapy website. It's what I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if somebody asks, I can direct them to that. Mm-hmm. Um, try to put pictures up. Um, but I don't do a lot of knocking on doors just because I know how much time I have available as a parent. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in my comfort zone now doing five or six shows a year. Mm-hmm. Um, not really doing that. I'm, I'm also very fortunate that I have a husband who has a, a, a good job. It allows me to be able to sort of take work as, as I'm interested in it. Right. Um, if I were doing it to survive, I would certainly be knocking on doors and sending out resumes and, you know, making a much bigger splash, I think, in terms of, hey, I'm right here. Look at right. Me. So. And what what would you add to that, Emily? Um, Are you supporting yourself? Yes, I am, but not by being a designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a sort of a day job as the costume supervisor at Writers Theater. Oh. Um, and that allows me to do a similar thing and just take the design work, um, take the design work that I want to take uh-huh. um, and that I... And, you know, that I'm particularly interested in. Um, 
And what does a costume supervisor do? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I like to say that I'm a sh- costume shop manager without a costume shop. So basically, I'm a project manager. Um, I work with uh, sort of between the costume designer up there mm-hmm. and the theater um and I'm a production assistant, basically. I bring the design into fruition. So someone else designs it, but you figure out how to make them mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. And I right? hire all the labor and mm-hmm. um, sometimes help with sourcing and rentals and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So is it important as a designer to have a niche? Do you get known for a particular style? or a, I mean, I'm noticing, Emily, that you've done a lot of historical mm-hmm. drama mm-hmm. and you're the... Um, the Jeff that you just won was for a Victorian costuming. Is is that important? Is that something you set out to do, or is it just you do what you're attracted to? And well, I think that's actually a, a sort of a funny thing. Um, that just happens to be, I think, what Remy Bumpo does, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what I'm getting noticed for. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily. I certainly enjoy doing it, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily my main goal as a designer mm-hmm. is to do those sorts of big period dramas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how many designers there are out there, but if I'm a director and I am doing a particular show, I would think I would have the inclination to look for someone who's done something like that rather than, you know, just pick somebody, um, maybe based on relationship. But it, it sounds like you're saying that isn't really how it works, that it really is about relationships. Well, I can only speak for myself, but you uh-huh. know, it's, I'm not finding that to be the case at all. Yeah. Yeah. So how many shows would neither one of you is supporting yourself solely by doing design for uh-huh. mid-sized Chicago theaters? Um, would it be possible? Could anybody do that? Can you work hard enough to earn enough money to survive just doing design work? I don't, I don't know. Do you know of anyone who's doing it? Yeah, I, I know a lot of lighting designers and sound designers because they can push through a show a week, a show every two weeks. Mm. It's tech, 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 tech. I know Chris Chris is working mm-hmm. very hard and doing a lot of shows. Um, lighting designers can probably do it more realistically. They have to be in the theater that tech week. They have to see rehearsals. They have to turn in paperwork. I don't know if it's realistic in terms of being able to do it without staff, without assistants, right. without mm-hmm. studio assistants who can do your drafting, build your models. And then, of course, you have to get out of the mid-sized theaters to do that because, you know, you're making not enough to pay mm-hmm. a staff right. at that level. Right. So. And do designers tend to, is, is there kind of a stair step where you work your way up from the tiny little storefront to a Goodman Theater? Or do people go up and down that ladder as designers? Which I would say actors, to some degree, do here, or to even directors. I don't know. I know, I, again, I think it's based on relationships. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a, lot of t- a lot of times the directors move up mm-hmm. more easily, I think, and then they have the relationships with the designers. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I haven't sent anybody my portfolio or resume at those other theaters, so you know, they probably don't know I'm alive. Right. <laughs> so it's okay. Right. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's all right. Um, I don't know. I think that there are, if you look at the Jeff nominations, you will see some names that are in both midsize and large categories mm-hmm. um, for scenery designers and lighting designers and sound designers. I don't know how much it happens with costume designers. Um, it's, you know, it's, I, that, that happens. There, mm-hmm. there is some, 
you know, fluidity, fluidity there. there. Yeah. yeah, it's not like you just kind of keep going up the ladder and then stay there. You fill your plate with only high budget, fancy shows. Yeah, I I think there's probably a limited number of those shows available. Mm-hmm. So I would I would expect that even once you step up to that level, you would um, keep taking things in a range of areas. Right. But right. I, I guess. I mean, I guess what I would say is I'm I'm really at the mid-range. Ask me in 10 years. Right. I'll tell <laughs> right. you. Yeah. No more about that. Yeah. I guess part of why I'm interested in that is because others have said to me that one of the things that dis- that's distinctive about Chicago theater, the scene here, is that for actors and for directors, there isn't this feeling that once you've made it to a certain level, you would never stoop to do mm-hmm. a tiny storefront uh, show, not only because you need to to stay busy, but because people understand there are rewards that are different depending on what kind of setting you're working in and that the tiny little, you know, theater where it's you and 20 audience members um, has its own rewards. Now, that might not be true for designers because when resources are that limited, maybe it's just less fun. Is it? certainly more work. Um, uh-huh. You know, on the, it becomes, mm-hmm. it sort of forces a resourcefulness that you... Sometimes that's challenging and fun. You know, mm-hmm. I did a show, uh, we did a production at First Folio of um, Moon for the Misbegotten, mm-hmm. and we ended up clearing out a, um, a lumber pile and did the show for about $140. And it was a really terrific production, but I don't want to do that every show. It's exhausting. What do you mean clearing out a lumber pile? Like, well, just... we just, it was built a lot from a lot of scrap, a lot of mm-hmm. existing pieces. It wasn't draw the do the drawings, mm-hmm. build the set. It was, oh, we have these four sheets of masonite we can turn them into shingles Uh and i think that's sort of an it's a fun challenge it's a fun exercise but it's certainly not something that i I think it would be very draining to have to do every production sort of in a hyper resourceful way um and it does become i think less satisfying after a while Uh i don't know that's Sometimes great results come out of that, though. Absolutely. Sometimes the design actually loses by being able to, you can do anything, and then it, I don't know, there's something that happens that can be self-indulgent or... Um, well, I also think it's harder sometimes if you don't have those limitations. Right. So you don't know where the end is, where the, you know... You have too many options. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. And then you just go crazy trying yep. to decide among mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, what... Um, Describe the process for work. Remy Bumpo is just a great example of a of a very high quality mid size equity theater in Chicago. And of course, once we're talking equity, it's a whole different ballgame even than the huge non equity scene. But so, how talk about um, you know how far ahead of the show do you get contacted? How did you get contacted? What do you talk about with the director? What's the time frame? Kind of sketch out the process. So let's start. Start, Emily, with the um, You Never Can Tell and the mm-hmm. costumes for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember, actually, how far in advance we started with that. Um, I think, I mean, I think typically, because I have a relationship with that theater, I'll be contacted um, somewhere in the vicinity of their season announcement. Mm-hmm. I'm designing a show with them currently, and I think that I was hired for that sometime in the spring. And just to clarify, they don't like reach out to three designers and say, give us some sketches and we'll pick. They just pick you. Right. Yeah, well, that seems like a losing <laughs> proposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It doesn't see, yeah, I, I, 
that would be bad if people did that, tried to do that. I think you could get taken advantage of very quickly uh-huh. if that were the case. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they don't do that, which is good. Yeah, which is so, good. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, okay, we're doing this Bernard Shaw play. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. We want you to do it. You've got this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does the d- director, what kind of guidance does the director give you ahead of time or if any, you mm-hmm. know, what could, what do you talk about? Usually the way it begins is, um, I'll just read the play on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, I kind of treasure that first reading because mm-hmm. it's not influenced by anything. So that's my chance to sort of respond to it on a visceral level and, you know, think, you know, just, just react, um, uh, kind of without thinking through anything too analytically. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, I'll often get some information with the director or meet with the director and sort of hear what he or she is thinking of um, for the show as a whole. So, you know, what themes we're picking out, what the show is trying to say, mm-hmm. what's important about the show, why are we doing it? Um, and sometimes, you know, information about the world and what's important about the world of the play. Um, and from there, it, you know, turns into a discussion with, uh, between me and the director and between me and the director and the other designers, mm-hmm. um, hopefully as a group to try to create a world that supports that vision. So, so can you talk at all about some of the things that Sean Douglas said to you or some of, some of the, what those discussions focused on? Sure. Um, we talked about the world of the play being sort of a place apart because all these sort of strange coincidences happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the play takes place at a seaside resort. So we're already a step ahead. Uh, and we talked about it being sort of a forest of Arden type of environment, yeah. a little yeah. special and a little heightened, um, and, and really playing up, um, sort of the the movement of the language. There's a lot of back and forth and and repartee, witty back and forth Mm -hmm. in the play. So um, we wanted to play up the activity of that language um, as well as this special place. So we ended up with these, you know, really light colors and um, soft, floaty textures, you know, a whole seaside look. So when when Sean talks to you about something like, you know, the quickness of the language and the repartee, Mm -hmm. does that actually translate into ideas about costumes for you? Yeah, and I'm not sure in this especially in this case that I could, you know, point a specific detail out to you, but mm-hmm. it it tells me about the the mood and the world of the play mm-hmm. and the um sort of the the environment that the characters are living in and who they are. That's that's huge for me. One of my favorite parts of doing the design conversation is talking about the characters um, mm-hmm. and who they are and how we can develop them through the costumes, how the costumes can support who these people are. So Angie, why don't you talk about uh, Seascape, the same, the same question, and such a different world. I mean, you couldn't have a more different world. Well, um, one of the things that was... Uh, probably the most memorable for people who saw it is that we shifted the shape of the space around. Um, Mm -hmm. We covered a third of the seats and we turned it almost on a 45 so that um, the audience had a a slightly different perspective in there. It's not the greatest space in the world. Um, It's got a low ceiling. It's dark. It's wide. Uh It's, It's just not a very exciting space. So we tried to do is just change it up a lot. Another mm-hmm. thing about Seascape is it's typically done sort of as a New England beach. And um, one of the things Nick, the director, was most interested in is, is sort of making it a little bit more dark and 
the darker side of of what's going on with these. It's a fantastical situation, obviously, but it's not supposed, and it's comical, but it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be, extru- it's not supposed to be a laugh a minute. We're supposed no. to sort of really think about these conversations. So we tried to make a more threatening environment, started looking at the Oregon beaches, the Galapagos beaches, the really rocky, um, almost dangerous beaches where if you tumble mm-hmm. down, you're, you know, as opposed to these more placid um East Coast, Nantucket-ish, you know, right, beaches. Right. Um, so we were trying to create a an environment where they were more isolated, and seeing somebody at the end of the beach is like, oh, who is that? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, there's the you know the next the neighbors picnicking. Right, right. And then you had the element of these characters, the the lizards, who are going to be crawling around this set on their bellies. Did that? come into how you thought about the design? Do you think uh, about that kind oh, of thing? Oh, absolutely. We, we didn't want to see them coming. And again, mm-hmm. in that space, it's pretty challenging. Uh, I mean, you have an 11-foot ceiling and you have six-foot tall actors. Right. Um, <laughs> you only have a little bit of space to play with. Um, and so what we tried to do, again, with the stage left side covering up the seats, that became the the main entrance for these lizards and we didn't we wanted it to be a surprise so how did you technically do that it well, was just to do with with the uh kind we, of a ramp right? yeah it plat- we platformed over the seats mm-hmm. and then um there was texture used on all of the platforming and we had to be careful we had to give samples of the texture to the costume designer because the suits were because they were on their bellies and their hands and their knees mm-hmm. and we didn't want too much paper. <laughs> yeah, too much wear and tear. And it, it was yeah. a little abrasive. It kind of had to be partly mm-hmm. for traction because they were, I know they worked really hard on the physical, on, on the, the way these characters moved. Yeah. And so we needed to give them traction without too much traction. It needed to f- visually look like sand without filling the theater with sand. We really mm-hmm. wanted to avoid that because mm-hmm. sand is like glitter. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we used a um, pulverized rubber for the sand that they could run their fingers through. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we worked, I, I did drawings. They were, it's, it's always a challenge to do organic drawings with a computer program, so that was fun. And built a little model. We bid it out to, sent it out to bid for a couple of shops, and the shop that did do the work on it did a wonderful job bringing things in that obviously have seams and breaks and making it look seamless. Mm-hmm. So, And that's such a, um, it, it's a, Albie's style is hard to characterize, but it's both realistic and yet not at all very abstract. Did you consider a, a really fantastical set, or was it important? Because in my mind, it was quite realistic. I mean, you really saw beach grass, and well, there was, that was a painted... Im- that was important to, to Nick as well, mm-hmm. especially with the design. And I don't want to speak for Rachel Ritz, but for the design of the, the lizards, they not be too fantastical, mm-hmm. because this is tipped into that in other designs for these lizards where they've you know they've got the glow in the dark spots and the red eyes he wanted mm-hmm. it to be very much that these were something that could crawl out of the ocean right and i think that but until they do at the end of the first act you need it to be a believable situation where the banter between the married couple is is real they're really there it's mm-hmm. a slightly th- threatening environment but when they the lizards come out then it becomes much more you know. Right. Surprising because yes. we, we thought we were in reality and suddenly we clearly aren't. Yeah. Um, so, so elements of that set you've talked about the, um, the ramps and the platforms. There was also a, a painted 
backdrop, right? Yeah, I think ideally, looking back at that, we'd, I'd love to have done something projection-wise just because it was pretty stat- static. As of, of all the pieces in that, that was sort of the piece I was least satisfied with mm-hmm. because it was on a curved, uh, and it wrinkled at some points. And so, you know, you look back and go, uh, I might have done it differently. But mm-hmm. um so there was that, but it was the idea, again, that you're looking out into the ocean and you see these rocks, you see these um, these giant pieces, like like an Oregon beach where you're looking out and you're, I can't remember the name of the beach, Cannon Beach, something like that, which mm-hmm. was a lot of where I pulled the research from. Um, yeah, and then creating also a, um, a false proscenium in a way with the arched rocks that sort of progressively went back um, that draw would draw our focus in there again because that space has no real specific focus. It depends on where you're sitting. Uh-huh. And what I was trying to do is say, okay, look here. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what the, Give the purpose. Give it a center. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, why did you choose to paint the backdrop instead of use projections? It was a financial issue, of uh-huh. course. I mean, it was projections, I think. It was one of those things that sort of came after the fact is, oh, that might have been a better option. Mm-hmm. But we were... It, it's mid-sized theater sending it out to the shop it's always a budget issue we had to chip things away we had to make different materials choices we went through a whole lot of revisions to get where we where we are where we were mm-hmm. um, because you know just money is money it's it's the realities yes, of those limi- exactly. limited resources yeah so one of the things that I've always been intrigued by the theater culture, seems to me to be very uh, driven by actors and maybe directors. There's a, there's a way that actors have to relate to each other to create the kind of trust that allows them to do their work night after night on stage. So there's this very familial uh, relationship that tends to grow up in a healthy production for the, for the company. The designers seem to be outside of that. You're not part of the rehearsal process where a lot of that is created and you kind of parachute in for Tech Week into that culture. And I'm just interested how that feels or, you know, if that's something you like or I don't know. I'm just interested in that. So I don't know if either of you has anything to say about it. I think it's true um, for me. Mm -hmm. I think costume designers have a lot more hands-on time, a lot more face-to-face time with actors. Yeah. But... I think it's true that each each show seems to be a little bit of a summer camp for each, you know, for yes, actors. Right. They build this sort of intense bond because they're all committed to every night doing this this show. Right. And we are a little bit on the outside of that. And, you know, it's just different, I think. Yeah. A different way, a different kind of life in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. For me. I, yeah. yeah. My experience is typically pretty different mm-hmm. um, because I one of the things I really like about my job is that I have the opportunity to interact with actors. You know, I'll see each one of them one-on-one at least once before mm-hmm. we go into tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm also then in the room to do measurements at first rehearsal or at a run-through. Um, so while I'm certainly not in that inner circle... Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I do feel a part of the production. Um, yeah. I certainly feel part of the team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a costume designer has a actually very intimate ro- relationship with actors. I mean, you're touching them all over, and <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> in I mean, a way, yeah. 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 Uh, so that, that is very different. I'd never thought about that. So talk just a little bit about um, about Tech Week, because that's 
I, has kind of a reputation of being hell. Um, <laughs> is, is that right? <laughs> is it usually hell? <laughs> Not if it's going well. Uh-huh. Not if things are going the way they should. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Um, <clears throat> and it's taken me a little time to sort of uh, learn how to sit back and just take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly long hours, but... What uh, is a typical tech weekday? Oh, well, you know, there's the, the longest day is the 10 out of 12. So the, the actors are on stage for 10 hours out of the day. Mm-hmm. Designers are there before and after usually mm-hmm. um, for meetings and notes and things like that. Right. Yeah, that's easily a 15 or 16 hour day sometimes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It depends also on whether you're in a well-supported situation as a designer or if you're doing a lot of the stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that can be, that that has, that can be a huge you know, it could be one or the other or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, bringing somebody in to do a note you can do yourself in 15 minutes is just, you're like, tack with it. I'm just going to take care of it. So um, that's repainting something. Yeah, or, yeah, that, touching something up mm-hmm. or fixing a piece of set dressing or, heck, sometimes even, you know, putting in a couple screws so the floor doesn't squeak. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So if you're in a really well-supported situation where you have a carpenter and you have a painter and you have all the people that can come in and sort of swarm over dinner break, mm-hmm. it's a very different experience than you're taking your 450th note and then you have to get, you know. At 1 a.m., yeah. you're still yeah. there hammering. Yeah. yeah. And that, that can be hard, but it's for me, it's also the first time I get to see everything together on Absolutely. stage. Mm-hmm. So it can also be very exciting. Yeah. Yes. Um, right to see that for the first time. Well, one last question. Is there something about um, uh, the way a company is run that that makes a difference in how well you do your job? So I think um, there's something to be said, but you can design something that is that's so right. And if it's executed poorly, it's not going to mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. So having the resources to execute a design well whether yeah. that's sending it out to bid for a shop, hiring the right stitchers, drapers, um, just being able to not take it take it from the paper, the renderings, the sketches, the models, whatever, to making it real. If you don't have the a craftspeople, a, a good line in between mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't matter. Right, I mean, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Was it fun to win a Jeff? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> And does it make any difference in your careers, do you think? Is it something that suddenly new opportunities will present themselves, or is it just um, a nice moment of being recognized? I think you should probably check with people who, you know, (laughs) had it happen five years ago. ago, It's kind Uh of hard to tell. Uh It's my first one, yeah. I I don't know yet. Right, right. Well, thank you very much for joining me to talk about your work. Thank you.